Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Now, when we last saw Jesus, he was in Jericho, but now he was headed from Jericho towards and eventually into Jerusalem. Now, this road that went from Jericho to Jerusalem was 17 miles long, and back then they walked everywhere, or they rode a donkey, or they rode a camel, or they rode a horse, but either way, they didn't jump on a car. 17 miles is nothing, really, even with a bicycle, but in Jesus' day, they walked. Can you imagine that? Walking everywhere and walking 17 miles. I read somewhere that the average person, like a day's journey was 25 miles. So this wasn't even like as long as some people normally walk back then. But that just blows my mind. 17 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem. And it was a beautiful walk. It rose 3,000 feet. So a lot of it was uphill, which again, even more exhausting exhausting as he gets up to the top of the Mount of Olives because you got to cross the Mount of Olives and then down into Jerusalem. But when you were at the top of the Mount of Olives, man, you could see a beautiful panoramic view of the city. It was beautiful. And you could see everything. And here Jesus was coming. He was coming and the people knew it. By this time, the news was out. Jesus of Nazareth was coming. He could be the long-promised Messiah. But notice he's Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Nazareth, even in Jesus' day, was a pretty obscure town. Not a lot of people would have heard of it. It was in Galilee. But again, think of the most obscure town in your state. The smallest, most obscure town that you can think think of and that was pretty much nazareth back in jesus's day and that whole area of galilee well not only did jesus come from an obscure town he came from an area called galilee that was known for uproar for violence and so he came from a very obscure and socioeconomically poor place in a region given to violence and conflict and so when you heard Jesus could be the Messiah, oh, but he's from Nazareth and he's from Galilee. Ugh. Well, maybe not. Are you sure this is going to be the future king to sit on David's throne? Is he going to come from there? Well, Jesus left Jericho and started walking towards a town called Bethpage. And there, it seems, he stayed with some friends on Saturday, because of course it's the Sabbath, right? You're not supposed to do any work. You got to stop working. It's a day of rest. Well, Jesus kept the law and he stopped with some friends on the Sabbath and on that Saturday. And now Sunday, he's making that final trek over the Mount of Olives and down into Jerusalem. And he's about to make his grand entrance into Jerusalem. And that's what Matthew 21 is all about, because his entrance, his entrance would be grand. Well, let's put it this way. It would be grand for those looking and with spiritual eyes to see. It would be grand, but for others, it would be a loud, confusing, odd episode. 
See, Jesus, again, left Bethpage, started heading into Jerusalem that Sunday morning. And somewhere between the town of Bethpage and the entrance into Jerusalem, he stops. And he tells his disciples to go on ahead, and I want you to go to a small village ahead up there, and there you will find a donkey and a colt tied up together. Basically, a donkey, a mom, and her baby colt. And you'll see them tied up together. And Jesus says, once you find those two animals, then I want you to tell the owners that the Lord needs them. And everything will be fine. Because it's a little odd, right, to go up to a total stranger and say, hey, I'm taking your donkey and your colt. That's called stealing. But Jesus said, it's okay. Just say the Lord needs them. Maybe they were friends from Bethpage. Maybe somebody had worked it out ahead of time. All I know is Jesus said, go forward Get a donkey and a colt and bring them back. So the two disciples went on ahead to this village and and they found a donkey and a colt tied up together. Now, I wonder how long it took them to find them. You know, did it take a lot of searching around? Hey, there's our camel and a horse. Uh, Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, no. There's a donkey, but no colt. There's a colt, but no. There's a dog. There's a chicken. Well, Oh, there it is. There is the colt and the donkey. The disciples found the colt and the donkey that Jesus wanted them to find. Well, they unhitched the two, said the Lord is need of them to the owner. And then they walked both of them back to where Jesus was. Now, it's interesting, right, that it was a colt and a donkey, which meant a mother and her young offspring, the colt, And so they brought these two animals back to Jesus. And then, the Bible says, the disciples threw their coats over the backs of the donkey and the colt. And the party kept walking towards Jerusalem, all the while getting ready to have Jesus ride on the colt. And then, as they got closer, other worshipers who were on their way to the temple, on their way to Jerusalem, they were on that 17-mile trek, they began to notice, hey, that's Jesus of Nazareth. Hey, that's Jesus of Nazareth. And so other worshipers on their way to Jerusalem began to worship Jesus. They were on their way to worship at the temple because they're getting ready for the feast of the Passover. So Jesus eventually gets on the cult. Before he gets into Jerusalem, before he makes his grand entrance, he gets on the cult. Now what's interesting, right, is the cult is young. It's not used to having been ridden. This is an unbroken animal. You'd normally ride the donkey, but here Jesus is getting on the colt, which I think when he got on the back of that colt, instead of rearing up, the colt calmly took Jesus as its rider. Why? Because I believe this shows Jesus has control over everything. Even an unbroken animal, one author wrote, remains calm under the hands of the Messiah who controls all of nature. So they threw their coats on the back of the colt. It's hard to say. And then Jesus got on the back of the colt and the other worshipers on their way to Jerusalem to the feast of the Passover began to notice what was happening. Now, maybe some of them were believers who had come to realize that Jesus is God. And they were traveling with the group because they honestly believed Jesus was the Messiah. And so when they saw what was happening, they got excited. 
Or I think there are others in that group who were just sort of caught up in the drama of the moment. But either way, when the group saw what was happening, some of them began to cry out this word. They began to cry out the word, Hosanna! 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 Now, Hosanna originally meant a cry for help. And you made it as a cry for help to God. Hosanna literally means save us. But by the time of Jesus' day, that word had become more of an exclamation of praise. A celebration to a king. Save us. You know, Hosanna, it had a positive connotation. Now, now my question is, why would they yell out praises to a king, right? Jesus was from obscure, boring Nazareth. He was a rabbi, right? But he wasn't any king, was he? But he was, right? If someone was looking with spiritual eyes, and if someone knew their Old Testament, they would have seen a beautiful picture of the coming king who's going to reign on David's throne. And this beautiful picture is talked about in the Old Testament in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It makes a prophecy of a future king of Zion. It says this, Zechariah 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Whoa. This, this was a prophecy made hundreds of years, hundreds of years before Jesus made this grand entrance on this Sunday in Jerusalem. Well, I think some people, when they saw Jesus on the colt, began to think of that passage from Zechariah 9, verse 9. And when they saw it, they were so excited. And when they were so excited, they could only exclaim in the one popular phrase, Hosanna! That's what they saw. We saw the king, the king of Zion coming. And they just cried out in their excitement, the shout of triumph for a king. Then someone else shouted, Look, the Lord is proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Here's a passage from the book of Isaiah. They're going to say, Say to daughter Zion, Look, your salvation is coming, and his wages are with him, and his reward accompanies him. Hosanna! They're thinking, Here comes our king. His wages are with him. His reward accompanies him. They're going to think of that passage from Zechariah. They're going to think of that passage from Isaiah. They're thinking salvation is coming. And he is righteous and he is humble and he is riding on a colt. And then more people, when they hear Hosanna, Hosanna, right? They began to join in and chanting and, and praising the king. And, and as Jesus got closer and closer to Jerusalem, more and more join in. And then someone gets the bright idea of chopping off some branch of a nearby tree and throwing it down on the ground in front of the colt. Someone else grabs a palm branch and throws it down. Someone else 
grabs another branch of another tree in that region and throws it down. And someone then threw their coat down, branch after branch, coat after coat, being thrown on the ground so that the colt would walk over it. This was a great honor, right? An honor reserved for a king. An honor, in particular, reserved for a king who is coming back to celebrate. And so it says in Matthew 21, verse 9, that the people were yelling, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Chop, throw down a branch, throw off a coat. Let's give him great honor. The people are laying down branches. They're celebrating and honoring Jesus as he comes into the city. And notice again, they were saying, you, Jesus, are the son of David. By using that phrase, they're essentially calling Jesus their king, the rightful heir to the throne of David. And as Jesus rides in, right, the people are chanting and yelling and singing praises to Jesus as their Messiah, as the king, the noise gets louder and louder, especially as he comes into the city until the Bible says in Matthew, the whole city was in an uproar. Because why? People were running over. What's that noise? We're all attracted to noises, right? What's that loud noise? What's happening over there? Let's go over. People are beginning to stampede over to see what all the fuss was about. Running over to see what was happening. And there, as you'd push through the crowd to look, I think that's Jesus of Nazareth riding a small colt with people crying out praises, Hosanna, and throwing down palm trees in celebration. And so some people, you know, they began to question, who is that person? Who is this? Who is this? They'd ask the person, who is that? I don't know. You know, it's that guy who doesn't know what's happening at the movie, and they're always asking you questions. Hey, I don't know what's happening. Who is this? And then they found out that all this noise, all this fuss is being made about this young rabbi. The people there, it says in Matthew 21, verse 11, they began to tell them, this is the prophet, Jesus, from Nazareth in Galilee. And then at some point, Jesus gets off the colt and begins to walk towards the temple. Now, this temple, it's the Jewish temple, and it's the second temple ever built, with the first one being destroyed by the Babylonians centuries earlier. Well, the second temple was originally built by the Jews returning after being deported. So the Babylonians come in, destroy the temple, take the remaining Jews out of Jerusalem, and they're there for 70 years, and then... Under King Cyrus, they're allowed to go back. Well, those people who went back began to rebuild the walls. Read the book of Nehemiah, right? They began to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Well, during that time, they also began to rebuild the temple, a much smaller temple. Well, over the years, people began to expand on that small temple built by the returning Jewish people. And they began to make it bigger and bigger. And then finally, a guy named King Herod, right, who was the official king of the Jews, King Herod the Great, he makes this grand addition to the temple. He built this temple huge, large, so large, it became one of the largest religious structures in the ancient world. The second temple, the Jewish second temple was huge, and it was amazing. But the problem was, 
it was only amazing on the outside. Because sadly, the heart of the temple was sick and dying and frighteningly corrupt. See, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the leading rabbis of the day, were veering far away from the proper worship of Yahweh. And one of the best examples of this sin, of getting away from a true worship of Yahweh, was the state of the daily life there at the Second Temple, particularly in the outer courtyards where people sold animals, okay, and for to pilgrims. So pilgrims, of course, would come from miles away to come to the, for instance, the, the Passover feast. Well, they couldn't bring an animal with them, so they would buy an animal there in the outer courtyard, and they'd buy an animal, whether it's a lamb or a dove, to, to use in their sacrifices. And to do that, well, the Bible talks about a group of people called money changers. So what you would do is you would come and you take your dollars to this money changer and he takes it and then turns it into shekels, which then allows you to buy a lamb buy a dove, buy an animal for sacrifice. Well, the problem was these money changers were ripping people off. They were charging exorbitant prices to change money from dollars into shekels, from pesos into shekels. Not only that, the priests were also making some money on the side because when you brought an animal for sacrifice, well, guess what? The priest had to decide, is this calf, this lamb, this dove, you know, does it make the cut? Is it good enough? Well, a lot of them never made the cut. So they would have to go back and buy something more expensive. They'd have to go back and buy something more expensive. They say that the prices for those animals were marked up by 25% or more. Doves would sell for $4, where you could normally buy one dove for $0.05. Cents. And, and this type of, you know, again, the money changers are making money. The people selling the animals are making the money. The priests are saying, oh, your animal's not good enough. you got to buy one from the temple. They're getting a kickback on all that stuff, and everybody's jacking up the prices well, Jesus, when he got off that colt and he started walking towards that temple, I think the celebration was gone. Now, it's interesting. Jesus began his ministry with the cleansing of the temple. And here, he ends his ministry also with the cleansing of the temple. So just like that colt, Jesus riding on the colt, fulfilled scripture in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Well, when Jesus cleansed the temple, guess what? He also fulfilled Old Testament scripture. The book of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, says this. See, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant you delight in, see, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. 
But who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and like launderer's bleach. He will be like a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Then they will present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Well, this fulfills scripture and Jesus comes in and he turns over the tables and he pushes the money changers out and he comes in as a warrior king who is not going to put up with the priests and the money changers and the business people just ruining his temple. The heart of the temple was corrupt and Jesus knows this. And so he quotes Isaiah chapter 56 verse 7 and he talks about the importance of justice and especially in the covenant observance. Then then Jesus quotes Jeremiah 7 verse 11 and that verse is an indictment of the people of Judah for injustices they've committed against God and their neighbor. See, God desired that both Gentiles and Jews use the temple as a place of worship. Well, when Jesus comes in and overturns the tables of all those people making a profit, jacking up prices, hurting the people, Jesus is directly challenging the authority of the high priest. Those people were there in that outer courtyard by the high priest's authority. Well, he's saying enough is enough. This isn't true worship. This is corrupt worship. And then, it says in Matthew 21, that Jesus challenges their authority even more when children, children running around the courtyard, began to yell out, Hosanna! And then in the temple there, in that courtyard area, lame and, and sick and people hurting, they came to Jesus for healing. And guess what? He healed them right there. All of this took place in the temple. Children running around yelling, Hosanna, they shouldn't be there. Again, healing the, the sick and the lame, he shouldn't be doing that. Well, not only that, the children... They said, Hosanna to the son of David. Well, when the religious authorities heard that, that's it. The son of David, the Bible says that they became indignant. They were furious. These children were calling Jesus God, King in fact, it says in Matthew 21, verse 16, that the priests come to Jesus and say, do you hear what they're saying? Do you hear what they're calling you? And then again, Jesus responds with scripture. He says, yes. Have you never read? You have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. Had you never heard that verse? Well, they had. They knew it was from Psalm 8, verse 2. Remember Satan all the way back in the great temptation. How does Jesus respond? He responds with scripture. He uses scripture to point out their sin and to bring to light their sick, hypocritical condition. Wow. What a day, you know? 
What a day. The day's coming to a close. Two prophecies are fulfilled. He had a triumphant entry, right? Prophecy number one fulfilled. A temple cleanse, prophecy number two fulfilled. What a day. The people are finally acknowledging Jesus as king. They're finally getting the idea this is the Messiah. What a day. Well, what a day. This third one's not so good. Because now, the Bible says the religious authorities are aware of Jesus. They are what we would call, they are triggered. They are ready to kill Jesus. Before, Jesus was just some small-time prophet in the hinterlands, right? He's way out there in Galilee. He's from some obscure place called Nazareth. We don't have to worry about him, but now... Here, during the week of Passover, he's being hailed as a king. He's being hailed as Messiah. He is literally challenging their authority. Well, Jesus, for them, he had to go. He had to go. Well, Jesus leaves the city, and he returns to his headquarters outside of the city in a town called Bethany. It was Sunday evening, and as Jesus laid his head to rest, I think he thought about the coming week and all that it would entail. And I wonder if he thought about the horrid death that he was going to have to face on that cross on Friday to pay for the sins of the world. But but to get there, right, there was more to be done on Monday. There was more to be done on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. Events and moments ordained by God for Jesus to complete. Events and moments that would bring Jesus to the fulfillment of his life and work on Friday to die on the cross for our sins. And then on Sunday to rise again, defeating sin and death. What happened on Monday? What happened on Tuesday? What happened on Wednesday? What happened on Thursday? Well, come back next week. We'll find out what happened. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.